0: Welcome to the Church 214 Podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Well, My name is Heather. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you and I get to help lead this church, which is really cool. Really fun, sometimes hard, but most of the time really awesome. And um, I am in, going to be teaching today in this series called Militant Hope. This is our third week in it. If you missed the first two, I would really suggest you go back and listen to them because they were, I would say, um, life-changing for me Uh, the, The first message that Isaac Schaefer preached in this series shifted something in my mind that I will not ever forget. So if you didn't hear it, go listen to that. It's on our podcast. But I thought, you know, what do we say, what do we mean when we say militant hope? What does that mean? Is it different than just, I hope your interview goes well, or I hope you feel better, Because we say that word a lot, right? Stop and think about how often you say, I hope, dot, dot, dot. Well, so I thought, well, let's see what Google has to say. You know, whenever you wonder something, nowadays, we all go Google it, right? Well, Google says hope is to want something to happen or be true. It's like, okay. Okay, I don't, it's not a great explanation, but that's what Google says. But when we first talked about this series a few months back, this is the paragraph that was written to explain what this series was going to be all about. I want you to listen to this. The kingdom of the living God versus the kingdoms of this world. What this world needs is hope. The hope of purpose, the hope of belonging, the hope of not staying as we are, but progressing in freedom. The hope of salvation, the hope of eternal life in perfection. We destroy the kingdom of Satan and overthrow the kingdoms of this world with active, militant hope. Well, that sounds quite a bit different to me than just wanting something to be true. Would you agree with that? Very different situations. So two weeks ago, I opened up this message, or this series, and he taught us about this New Testament word called elpis for hope, the word that's used in the New Testament for the word hope, and it means this, an expectation of what is sure. How good is that? That's when we need to memorize. That's when you need to get down deep in you and bring back to your mind over and over and over again. When you find yourself saying, I hope this happens. I hope you feel better. I hope you get that job. An expectation of what is sure. That's the difference between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. The world says, I want something to be true. In the kingdom of God, hope is an expectation of what is sure. So as we continue today, we're going to dive into something that I think doesn't just fit into this series, Militant Hope, but also fits into this overarching concept that we're in right now in this season of the church. We take time to specifically ask the Lord, what is it that you want to say to your church right now in this season? What do you want us to focus on and pay attention to? And Chris and I shared a little bit about this back at first um, in the beginning of January when we had our baptisms. But we always have to repeat things, right, until they really get in us. It's like telling your kids over and over and over something until they really get it. And they're like, ah, they got it. So you might find that we repeat things a lot, but it's because we really want you to get it. We want it to get deep down in you. So what did God speak over our church body for this season? Well, he spoke that he has more for us. He spoke that he's not going to leave us in the same place that we've been in. He spoke that he's calling us into a new season of prospering. He spoke that that this is a season of joy and gladness. He spoke that this is a season of of immense growth, that he's going to unleash incredible joy over his people. And so many of you, as I've talked to you, have said, before this was even shared to the whole church, have said, my word for the year is joy. God is restoring my joy. God is bringing me joy and gladness. And he led us to Psalm 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. That sounds like hope to me. But something happened. And as we shared this vision, and we've started to talk about it since uh, the beginning of January, it actually feels like for a lot of people, the exact opposite of that has happened. It feels like many are experiencing pain, and extreme heartache, and sadness, and loneliness, and anxiety. The amount of people that have come and said, I've never been more anxious in my entire life in this last month is more than I can count. And I thought, God, did we hear you wrong? Because you said you were gonna pour out joy and growth and refreshment and prospering. And I feel like all I'm seeing is the opposite of that. Did did we did we miss it? And I felt that in myself. Joy, Jesus, you promised us joy in this season, and I am struggling to feel. Any of it. Lord, help me understand what's happening. Did we hear you wrong? Should we ask for something else? And the Lord is so kind. He is so kind that when we ask him for wisdom, when we ask him for understanding, when we ask him, Lord, show me what I'm missing, and we make the space to hear and listen, he'll show us. And he did. He showed me very clearly what it is that we as believers in this body, what our action in this is. See, we could just sit on the sidelines and wait for the joy and wait for the growth and wait for the refreshing. And he might give it to us. He's able. But that is not how God most often works. He works in partnership with us where he sees us take a step and he says, oh, they want what I have for them. So we have some actions to do. So back in November, I shared a little bit of what's been going on in my personal life over the last six months with some health struggles that I've had and um, what the Lord was asking me to deal with in order to become whole. You know, God does not want us to live Uh, half whole lives, right? He doesn't want us to live in a way where we're just getting by or surviving. He wants us to live in freedom and wholeness. So I want to share a little bit more of the continuation of my story with you today um, because I don't think it's just for me. I think it's for all of us. Last time I shared a lot about my health and um, what I was going through. It's in our Crave series from November if you want to catch it. But what I began to see as I was taking care of my body is that I couldn't just take care of one part of me. See, we are made up of three parts. We are made up of our body, our spirit, and our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions. Three parts. And very often, we will only take care of one or two of those at a time. We will take care of our body. We will work out. We will eat right. And all the while, our soul is over here just completely depleted, and we're letting our mind battles destroy us. Or maybe our spirits are really good. Maybe we're in the word of God, and we're hearing from the Lord, and we're we're seeing his provision in our life, but our bodies are over here, and we're just wrecking them because of what we're feeding them. Or maybe it's our mind, will, and emotions that we're taking care of, and we're being really diligent to fight the mind battles, but we're leaving the other two things to the side. And and the, the point is, we have to take care of all three parts of us. God did not make us as separate parts. He made us as three parts that work together. And so I was doing a pretty good job on the body part. I had found some helpful doctors. I had changed how I, I've changed how I eat. I'd started paying, t- paying attention to stressors and things in my life that would cause me, my body to not react well. But my soul and spirit were just kind of in the dumps, they needed some work. My mind, it felt bruised and it felt uncertain. Can anybody relate to that? A mind that just feels uncertain? And I started to have anxiety like I had never had before. I I am sorry for all of you who have struggled with anxiety over the years and people haven't taken you seriously because it is a real hard thing. I started to have anxiety and, and worry about things that I had never worried about before in my entire life. Now, I want to be really clear. The spirit of God in me was just fine. He does not get anxious. He does not need a tune-up. It was how I was responding to the spirit of God in me that needed some work. I could tell that I wasn't operating in the fullness of God, that I didn't feel a spark of joy over things that usually brought, brought me joy. I could tell. I had stopped operating my life through a lens of faith, and I had started operating it from a spirit of fear that was trying to take over. Now listen, the spirit of fear, can you come me my water right there? Thanks. The spirit of fear has been rampant in our world, in the entire earth, over the last three years. It has been a demonic takeover of epic proportions that has infiltrated every single element of our lives. And we as believers are not immune to being affected by it. Even when we think, oh, I, I'm not, this isn't, this isn't something I'm dealing with we can still have the effects of it because of the enormity of what has taken place in our world. The spirit of fear has tried to take out people. And it's a tough one because once a spirit of fear takes hold, the spirit of fear is a strong man. It's like a boss demon. And when it takes hold, it starts to affect a lot of areas of our life. It doesn't just stay neat and tidy in this one little area. It starts to spread its tentacles out to all these other areas of our life. And for me, it settled in as health anxiety over myself and over my kids, which they're perfectly healthy, wonderful kids, weird things that would happen. And all of a sudden, you know, Bennett, my son, came downstairs one night and he said, Mom, I have a headache. I was like, And we were getting ready to go on a date. And by the time we got to the restaurant and sat down at the table, I had convinced myself that Bennett didn't just have a headache, that he had a brain tumor and he was going to die because he had a brain tumor and there was nothing I could do about it. That's the spirit of fear trying to take control of my mind. And I know better. I had this fear that started to creep in that, I was always going to be hurt by people around me. And that, that's kind of true. Like, we're human beings. We're going to hurt each other. Right? We don't have to be fearful of that. It's just part of being humans together. I had demonic and unsettled dreams and sleep that just came out of nowhere. And a spirit of fear settled into my life as Disengagement. It settled into my life as me just disengaging from things that normally I would do that would help me overcome it, like get in my word, be with people around me that encouraged me. I could feel myself just disengaging because this thing had settled over me. Now, mind you, I did not know what it was at this point. But as my friend Rochelle so beautifully said a few weeks ago, she was speaking on faith and fear, She said, fear is really just believing what the devil says more than we believe what God says. It's stepping into the devil's playground and then thinking you can tell him he has to leave his playground when you've been the one that stepped into it. Instead of being over here in God's kingdom, And the enemy trying to come in and you saying, no way. You don't have access here. See, fear is the antithesis of militant hope. We know it's a spirit of fear taking hold when our spiritual fortitude is affected. When what we didn't doubt about God's promises before, we now doubt Fear has overtaken when joy and peace and love and gentleness are not present. And fear opens the door to other tormenting spirits too, like addiction and sickness and self-harm and cowardice and selfishness and on and on and on and on. Fear creeps in when we give it more attention than we give God's word. So how do we combat this? Well, God gave us intuition. If you know Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak to you and show you, and you'll just have a knowing. But here's the really cool thing. If you don't know Jesus, you have that too, because God created you, and he put his image on you also. He put his character in you also. So you already have it. If something's off, do you know it? Like if something's off with yourself, you're like, yeah, something's off. No? No one? Okay. Quiet, quiet people. God gave us that intuition, and we know. We might not be able to put our finger on exactly what it is that's wrong, but we know something needs to be dealt with. And I guarantee you, everyone else around you knows that there's something off with you. So if you're wondering, just ask people next to you, hey, is something off with me right now? They'll be like, "Mm mm-hmm, we wanted to tell you, but we didn't. So I knew that I needed to deal with something, but I wasn't really quite sure what it was. And it's okay to not know. You have to put yourself into a place where you can ask the Holy Spirit, show me what this is. Show me what's going on that I need to deal with. Sometimes I think we beat ourselves up because, like, I know something's off, but I don't know what it is. And then we feel guilt and shame over that. And that's ridiculous. Just lay on your face and ask the Lord, and he will show you. So I did what I know works. I have followed Jesus a long time. I know the right things to do. So I started doing them. I put myself into spaces where I could ask the Lord what was wrong, and I could listen and hear, what are you instructing me to do? He asked me to do some things I really did not want to do. He asked me to do some things I didn't think I needed to do, but I did. A huge part of what I did in that time was spending time in God's word and listening to the Lord, listening and talking with trusted people in my life. But another huge part of it was being here was being fed by the word of God here, was putting myself in a position at the altar where I could just focus on what the Lord wanted to show me. And two very specific things that the Lord showed me came from that position of being here in the house of the Lord, being under teaching of people who had pressed in to hear the words that he had for this body. Listen, the words that he gives us are not just from for some random body of believers. They are for this body of believers. The first one that I heard was from um, the message I mentioned earlier that my good friend Rochelle preached. Go back and listen to that one, too. It was really good. She said, faith and fear cannot coexist. It's one or the other. And, you know, I, I knew that, but I was not operating in that mindset. She said, fear strips us of our power and our authority, but faith allows us to see beyond the natural into the spiritual. Faith allows us to have hope and expectation of what is sure, even if we don't feel it in the natural. And something clicked. And the Lord showed me, you have been operating under a spirit of fear and not in your faith. And I was right down here at the altar. And he showed me, you're operating out of fear. It was really not something I wanted to hear. Because to be honest, I thought my faith was rock solid. I didn't think there was an issue there. But the fear was stripping me of my power and my authority. And I was not able to take captive the things that the enemy was throwing at me because of the spirit of fear. He also showed me, and this one caught me off guard. He showed me that I had expected that my faith from my childhood would sustain me for the trials of today. See, I grew up with extremely strong faith. God gave me the gift of faith when I was an itty-bitty little girl, like unusual amounts of faith. My parents taught me how to have strong faith, and it was a beautiful thing. But I was relying on the faith of my childhood to get me through the trials of adulthood. And I needed a new faith. The faith that I had before was a foundation. A beautiful, solid foundation. But we don't live in structures with just foundations. How weird would it be for us to come into church and there just be a floor? What if there weren't any walls or a roof? We have to build up the things in our lives from a foundation that is rock solid. And my faith needed to be built up. Romans 1 says we go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. See, the Lord was calling me to a new level, is calling me, is calling all of you in this church to a new level. In order to do that, I was going to need to rely on not what he'd given me before, but what he wanted to fill me with today. He had a new wine for me, and I couldn't put it in an old wineskin. Because you know what happens when you take new wine and you put it in an old wineskin? Probably not, because we don't do that anymore. But what happens is the wine skin has become brittle, and it bursts, and the new wine is wasted. So that was my first clue that I needed to deal with something. And I heard the Lord say, I have a new faith for you that will sustain you through the next years of your life. My second realization came just a couple weeks ago when Ike opened up this series. And the Lord, I will say this until the day I die, the Lord is so intimate with us if we let him be. He will show us all that we need if we are willing to receive it. And Ike read this scripture that I know so well, I've known for decades But I heard it differently this time. And I actually had my own Bible with me. This is a foreign concept that you would bring your Bible to church. I know it's a new idea. It's not actually. It's actually a very old idea. I had a young man in our church who's pursuing the Lord asked me if, if I took my Bible with me on overnight trips. Because he wanted to know if that was the right thing to do. And I said, yes, I do. Take your Bible with you. Bring your Bible to church. If it's on your phone, that's fine. You can get a pass. Bring your Bible to church. Because here's what happened. I had my Bible open. And Ike was, like, going through the entire Bible that day. So it was like... (sighs) And I've known Jesus for a very long time, and I've studied my Bible for a very long time. But when he says some, like, foreign book, and I'm like, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts of the Letters to the Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, like, I start singing the song in my head because I get panicky. I don't know where Nahum is. <laughs> I'm always happy when it's Psalms or Proverbs because it's literally right in the middle of the Bible. You just flip your Bible up and you're like, oh, I got there. <laughs> don't lie. You all do the same thing. I read Isaiah 40, and it was up on the screen, but I had my Bible in my lap, and I turned to Isaiah 40, and I was reading it from the translation that I have, and I'm going to read it to you now, and I'm going to show you something. Isaiah 40, have you never heard, have you never understood the Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired. And young men will fall into exhaustion. Listen. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary weary they will walk and not faint they will find new strength that leapt off of the page at me and God began to download this whole thought process about what he has for me but what he has for you too God doesn't just want to fix the old thing. He wants to give you a brand new thing. See, God wasn't just going to take my old faith that I had and bandage it up. He had a brand new faith for me, faith that I need for right now, faith that I need for the relationship struggles, faith that I need for raising teenagers, faith that I need for being married for 23 years. Faith that I need for walking into the next seasons of my life. My faith from before was a foundation, but it wasn't the materials that I need to continue building the life he's called me to now. That would require a new faith. And God wasn't asking me to rely on strength that got me through 10 years ago. He was saying, when you trust me, when you fix your eyes on me alone, you will find new strength that you need for right now. And that was a treasure. I needed that. I needed to hear that. I almost, I probably did start weeping sitting right there in my seat. Because I needed to know that there was new strength for today, that there was new strength for me to walk through the things that God has allowed me to walk through, to refine me, but he wasn't going to leave me hanging on, trying to grasp the old strength that I had from 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Some of you are waiting around in pain and misery, waiting on God to fix the old thing when he wants to give you a new thing. And I want to be very clear. It might not be new circumstances, but it might be a new perspective. You may not get a new body, a new marriage, a new job, but you will get a new set of eyes with which to see through what God has allowed you to walk through. You might get a new hobby to help you endure some loneliness. You might get a new purpose. You might get a new plan for the sickness that you're walking through. God wants to give you a new thing. And I want to show you how serious he is about this. Like, look what the Bible says about how God loves to make all things new. Now I'm going to go speed through the Bible. So just write these down. You don't have to keep up with me. You can go back and look at them later. Jeremiah was a prophet and he was lamenting in Lamentations. He was lamenting about the state of Israel because Israel had just gone completely off the rails and God was unhappy with them. and, And so Jeremiah is lamenting and this is what he says. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall." I well remember them. How many of us can say that? Like, I remember all the pain and all the hurt and all the wounds and all the hard things. And my soul is downcast in me. Yet, this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope, expectation of what is sure. Because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Listen, for his compassions never fail. Some translations say mercies. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So every single morning, the Lord's compassions over you are brand new. He doesn't hold against you what happened yesterday. You wake up and he's like, good morning, Heather. Here is a fresh day. My mercies over you are brand new today. And then Ezekiel, another amazing prophet, Ezekiel 36, 26. God spoke this to him. And he said, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. How good is that? 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 5 says, Now if anyone is enfolded in Christ, he has become an entirely new person. He's not just taken the old person. He's saying, you're completely new. All that is related to the old order has vanished. It is gone. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And God has made all things new. He starts out in a relationship with us by making us new. Psalm forty one through 4 says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of a pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. Many people are going to see the new thing that God has given you, whether it be a new attitude, a new job, a new house, whatever it is that God gives you. we got some amens back there. And they're going to say, what in the world? How did they deserve a new house? How did they deserve a new attitude? How? And we'll be able to say, look what God did. He will give you a new song to sing. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. It's the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of our God. That is militant hope. And this is so cool. God is speaking to his people through the prophet Isaiah about a new way. This is before Jesus came to earth. Okay, so this is all prophecy. They had no idea who Jesus was. But Isaiah was talking to them about Jesus. He says, I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am about to do. For I am about to do something new see, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. He was preparing them for Jesus. He's talking about Jesus because Jesus was going to come and make everything new. He was going to take the old way and bring a whole new way. And then we fast forward a little bit to after Jesus has come to earth and he's died on the cross, and God once again gives another one of his prophets a word, and this time it's to John, and it's about when Jesus comes again. So we we're living in this moment. We're waiting for this prophecy to happen. We get to be a part of that. In Revelation 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Then I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Do you see this? God started out making us a brand new person. He promised Israel something new is coming and it's Jesus. We know that now. And then he tells John, I'm going to do it all again. I'm going to make it new all over again, and we get to be a part of that. God is continually making things new for us. See, God doesn't operate in the old way. He's continually making things new. So what do we do? What do we do with all that information when we feel like we're kind of stuck? Well, for me, it looked like constant surrender. I found myself multiple times a day having to say, I give it to you, Lord. I surrender it. When that thought would come, I give it to you, Lord. I don't know what to do with this, so I give it to you. I think sometimes I would probably say it 20 or 30 times a day. I surrender, Lord. I surrender it. I want to show you one last thing. In the book of 1 Samuel. Samuel was the last of the Old Testament prophets before Israel demanded a king. We must have a king. And God gave them a king, even though it wasn't best for them, because he's a loving God, and he allows us to make decisions and then bear the consequences of those decisions. But Samuel was chosen by God to anoint the very first king of Israel. It was a man named Saul. And in short, Samuel put a lot of his time, a lot of his heart and soul, into Saul he instructed him he counseled him he gave him he helped him learn how to be a king Saul didn't have any other king ahead of him to show him how to do it so Samuel guided him in this he guided him spiritually and Saul started out pretty well like things were going pretty well and the Bible says the spirit of God was upon him but things derailed quickly and it's right here that we're going to pick up on Samuel's story. See, God had given Sam, Saul a very specific details about how he was supposed to go defeat the Amalekites and King Agag. And Saul doesn't do it. He goes and he does part of the job. And, you know, just obeying halfway is still disobedience. It's not obedience halfway. You can't say, but God, I obeyed you halfway halfway. God says, that's still disobedience in my eyes. So Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. There's that spirit of fear again, coming in and trampling on us, and we take part, and it causes us to disobey the Lord. But now, please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and he's given it to someone else, one who is better than you. That had to hurt bad. And he who is the glory of Israel, he's talking about about God, will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not a human that she he should change his mind. He was telling Saul, That's it. You're done. Saul pleaded again, I know I've sinned, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Isn't that interesting? God had just rejected him and Paul cares, Saul cared about his standing with the people. Let me look good in front of the people, even though I completely rejected the Lord over here. So Samuel finally agreed and went back with him, and Saul worshipped the Lord. And then the next few verses tell us that Samuel actually had to go and finish the job that Saul was commanded by God to do but didn't do. He had to go take care of Saul's mistakes. He had to go kill King Agag, king of the Amalekites, And Saul's disobedience meant that Samuel had to go pick up the pieces so that God's will would still be done. 1 Samuel 15 says, and Samuel cut Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went home to Ramah, and Saul returned to his house at Gibeah of Saul. Samuel never went to meet with Saul again, but he mourned constantly for him. And the Lord was sorry that he had ever made Saul king of Israel. Samuel had poured his life into Saul. I can imagine the wounds that, Saul had, that, that Samuel had from Saul's disobedience. Probably some regret. Look at all that that I poured into him and look at what he did with it. Samuel mourned constantly for him. But look what happens next. First Samuel 16, 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. And when I read that, you know how you can feel two things at once, like simultaneously feel two feelings at once? That's what happened. I felt like a boulder hit me and was lifted off of me all at the same time. You have mourned long enough. I want you to say that with me. You have mourned long enough. Samuel had to step out of his mourning so that God could do a new thing. God already had a new thing in mind. God had already left the mess of Saul and gone on to the new thing. He was about to anoint David to be king. David. Became the greatest king that Israel had ever had. And Jesus came from the lineage of David. God was about to do an amazing thing. And Samuel was over here mourning the old thing. I think many of us are mourning a dead thing and stuck there while God's already moved on to a new thing. And he wants to take us with him, but he can't because we can't stop mourning the dead thing. Some of you are afraid that stepping away from the mourning negates that it happened. But that's not true. What happens when you step out of a season of mourning is that it releases you to begin to find joy in the thing that you were mourning. Do you get that? When you stop mourning something, and I am not saying there isn't a season for mourning. There absolutely is. Grief and mourning and sadness are real things, and we must treat them in a way that honors what God has allowed us to walk through and feel in that. But when we step out of the mourning, we can look from over here and say, I remember the beauty in that thing. I remember the goodness in that thing. But we cannot step into a new thing while we are still mourning the old thing. You have mourned Saul long enough for Saul. And then he tells him, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. See, there is always an exchange When Jesus went to the cross, it was an exchange. It was his blood for your sin. When Jesus came, it was the old way of sacrifice for a new sacrifice, which was Jesus himself. There is always an exchange and then a new anointing. See, what God said to Samuel is he said, it's time to be done mourning. Leave your mourning here, but pick up your bottle of oil. It's time for a new anointing. You're exchanging the old for the new. God wants to anoint some of you today with a new anointing. He has the oil ready. He's waiting to pour it out on you. But you have to set aside the old thing that has been holding you back. You have to step out of a season of mourning and say, Lord, I'm ready for the new thing that you have for me. Jeremiah 31:13 says the young women will dance for joy and the men, old and young, will join in the celebration. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and listen, exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. So what do you need to exchange today? What do you need to exchange in your life? that you have been caught up in, a dead thing, a dying thing, something that God is ready to replace with a new thing. What do you need to exchange? What do you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you exchange today? He wants to do it for you. He is desperate to do it for you. And like he told Samuel, you have mourned long enough. It's time for a new thing. It's time for new faith. It's time for new strength. It's time for new purpose. It's time for hope. and expectation of what is sure. And as I was wrapping up writing this, I jumped onto Instagram and there's a couple of people on there that I really respect and I, I respect their writings and I don't follow follow very many because you have to be real careful you can get a lot of noise on Instagram but this one was so beautiful and I want to take this and speak this over you and then just give you the chance to respond however the Lord is asking you to respond there is such a grace in this hour to break through long-standing obstacles that have towered over you for years and for some even decades. The distraction and assignment of fear was to get you to forget the sword in your hand and the almighty anointing in your shout. I hear the Lord saying, release my breaker for you will not go this way again. You will not face this again. Praise Him, decree, shout, and swing your sword because it's time to get up and move from the stagnant place you have camped into your hour of rapid recovery. Don't look at the odds stacked against you. Don't dig up past disappointments to reason yourself out of it, but determine that you are not going to stay put one moment longer. It is a fresh grace to move to new places. Would you stand up on your feet? Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that your presence is here with us. We thank you that you are a God who continually is moving. That we can follow you as you move. That you are doing new things in our lives. That you love us so much that you will not leave us stuck in the old dead thing. But you will give us the opportunity to walk into a new thing. Right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you are bringing to mind. In every single person in here. One thing that they need to they need to move in. One place of their life that they need to stop mourning and move into a new anointing in. Father, this is a season you have for us of growth, a season you have for us of refreshment and joy, and we must move in order to receive that from you. We must stop living in the dead thing. We must stop looking at the dead thing and say, God, you were doing a new thing in my life, and my eyes are fixed on you. My eyes are fixed on you alone, God. Do whatever it is that you have in mind with you. I am with you, heart and soul. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.